Good morning everyone and welcome again to Sunday and we're going to be looking at part two of Journey to the Cross. Now one night I saw a fox. It was a hot summer's night, too hot to sleep. And it was dark, everyone on the estate was in bed and I went out of the house and walked down uh, the little road. There's a little lane and our estate backs onto woods and uh, countryside and I sat there really quiet on the wall and after a while I realised I wasn't alone. And as I looked up the country lane, there was a young fox trotting its way towards me. And I sat very, very still and I wondered what would happen. And the little fox came all the way up to right in front of me. And there she was right in front of me. And I looked at her and she looked at me. She stood very still and then she trotted off into the night. I was so excited. And it made me realise that this estate here is not just humans, but it belongs to a whole lot of animals as well living here. And not just the animals, but last summer our garden was full of birds. And we think the garden belongs to us, but all these birds were having like these territorial fights over the ownership of the garden. And um, a couple of months ago, somebody here took down a tree because the tree needed to come down. And it's one I look at out of the kitchen window. And I thought, well, what will happen now to all those birds? There's so many birds and nests in those trees. But I guess the birds had to fly and make a new nest in another tree. And Jesus said something about birds and foxes in Luke. And this is what he said. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, what did Jesus mean by this? Now, he's talking about having no place to stay. And we know in his early life, that he lived in Nazareth with his parents. But then there was a time when he grew up and he was about to start his ministry where he settled in Capernaum. And he probably had or built his own house. We know that he was a carpenter or more accurately craftsman or builder, that means. Maybe he built his own house or perhaps he bought one and perhaps there was still leftover money from the riches that the wise men bought. But Matthew 4 verse 13 tells us this. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Natalie. And we know that when Jesus made his home in Capernaum, this is the time where he called his disciples. And we think that possibly, after he called Matthew, do you remember Matthew, whose name was Levi at the time, he's a tax collector. After the calling of Matthew, Matthew gave this party, and it seems like they went on their itinerant ministry after this point. And so Jesus gave up a home as he traveled with the 12. And we know that as he traveled, he often went to stay with his friends in Bethany, Mary, Martha and Lazarus. And uh, also he often went back to Capernaum, probably stayed in Peter's house there. In Matthew 9, 1, it says, getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the Sea of Galilee and came to his own city. And it's referring there to Capernaum, which was kind of known as Jesus' hometown. But at this point, where Jesus is talking about the foxes and the birds, he's saying that he has given up having a home of his own. He's just traveling and um, serving the Father's agenda here with uh, a mission, carrying the work of the gospel, of the good news, healing people, teaching, and expanding his team. And at this time, when he says to his team, follow me, they gave up everything to follow him. And there's a time when Peter asks Jesus, we've given up everything Lord to follow you family and home um, what will happen to us in Matthew 19 Jesus promises a reward to those who follow him in this way Matthew 19 Jesus says this everyone 
who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And Jesus here is talking about a future reward for those who gave up everything and give up everything to follow him. Now one summer we became unexpectedly homeless, Julian and I. Now we were young, we were in our 20s. I just finished college, Julian worked for Open Air Campaigners and we were booked for that, that summer to go um, and help churches with evangelism and missions and um, travel around. And suddenly the flat that we'd been given rent free as a gift and we'd been gifted a car, both went at the same time. And so we're like, well, how are we going to do this? And Julian's uncle Emlyn gave us his larder car. And this is a big square car with big leather seats. So we packed up our few belongings and put them in a friend's shed. And for three months, we lived out of the boost of the car. And we went and did these missions. Sometimes we lived in a tent or in someone's house or out of the boot of the car. We lived at Julian's parents a little bit, my parents. Now we were young and carefree and I, I, we just wanted to like serve God whatever and like whatever it takes Lord whatever it takes and for that three months we had no place to call home uh, we weren't like a fox with a den or a bird with a nest but that season came to an end and now uh, by the September we'd been offered a job in Hereford where we became a church evangelist and youth pastors there so it's only for a season but during that itinerant season, it, it was a time when it kind of established the foundations of us saying, Lord, whatever it takes, uh, whether we have a home or we don't, and there were seasons where we had no money or no food, it developed in us that journey of faith that Cornerstone has gone on with a, a journey of buildings and serving and community projects. So whatever season of sacrifice you're going through just now, know that Jesus will use that in your life to build your faith and it kind of strips away um, all those extra things that aren't really needed to keep our focus on Jesus himself. Now Jesus challenged his followers in this passage here that we're going to look at today and he says you know if you're going to follow me it's an all-in response. So let's look at the passage today and it follows on from Matthew's talk last week in Luke 9 where he talked about how Jesus resolutely set his face to Jerusalem. Luke 9 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And this was Jesus' journey to the cross. He knew his mission, he knew what was ahead, but this was the moment now to really focus on this final journey to Jerusalem where he knows the cross awaits him. Now I am grateful that Jesus went for this 100%. It wasn't a half job, he didn't look for an excuse, but he went to the cross 100%. And we know in John 19, when he was on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. That means it is complete, the job is done. He did it for us completely. So let's look at today's passage. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. 
Now this passage kind of collects together the comments people made to Jesus, or rather the excuses, a little bit like reasons I can't do my homework, the dog ate it, my mum lost it, it snowed. And on the surface, they look like reasonable excuses, but when we unpack them in their cultural context, we see that really it is just an excuse. So the first one, the guy who says, I will follow you wherever you go. Now Jesus looks deep into his heart and he says, really, do you know what that means? Wherever I go, I don't have the luxury of a home, not like a, even a fox or a bird. Are you prepared for that? And then the second man, Jesus says to him, follow me. Now he'd said that to the disciples, follow me. And they'd abandoned their nets, they abandoned their um, tax collecting stand and they went and they followed him. But this guy, he turns around to Jesus and this amazing follow me opportunity. And he says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now in this context, it doesn't mean his father is literally waiting to be buried, but really he's saying, look, I'll follow you later. I'll come and follow you when things are finished at home, when my father has passed, when I've taken care of things. Maybe he was even thinking that when his father had gone, he'd have an inheritance. Maybe he's saying, I can't afford to follow you. I can't afford to live like you're doing. But how little that man knew that this was Jesus' final journey to the cross. And by putting it off to later, there was no later. This was his chance and his opportunity to get up and follow Jesus on the last exciting part of Jesus' journey. But this guy, he put off the call and he missed the opportunity. Now let's you and I not miss the opportunity. Let's not put it off. When Jesus calls us, we feel that tug, that call in our heart. Let's not put it off, but let's follow him because this guy didn't have a second chance. And then thirdly, it says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Now this sounds a, as, you know, a similar excuse. And it doesn't just mean, let me just pop back and say bye so everyone knows where I am. But culturally, it kind of means to tie up the loose ends, to go back, tie up the loose ends with my family. And the key in this one is where it says, let me go back. It's a going back. And this is where Jesus replies to him, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, what does this mean? Jesus is talking here about an all-in call. He gave everything for us and he asks everything back. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, it says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And do you know what happens? In our giving all, we find freedom and rest. Jesus said to the crowds who followed him, Matthew 11, he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you see, Jesus is saying to them here, take on my yoke, plough that field with me, be part of my team. Now, as we take on Jesus' yoke, because he is gentle and humble in heart, he lifts our burdens, he gives our souls rest. So as we come to devote him, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, it is a walk with Jesus, with his energy and with his passion and love working through us. And in our giving all, he gives us rest. Now to the crowd around him, 
Jesus used this ploughing picture because everyone would have been familiar uh, with that daily sight of people ploughing a field or perhaps they would have ploughed a field themselves. And everyone knew that to plough you had to focus forward, it had to be straight and to do that you had to focus your concentration on just going forward and if you look back you would ruin the line, it would go awry and then the whole field would go awry. It would affect the future crop, how much you could fit in the field, it would affect the sowing and the reaping and the harvest. And so Jesus uses this illustration here to say what we focus on doesn't just affect the moment but it affects the future. And he's calling his disciples to focus totally on following him right now and in the future. And this picture is about focusing on the job, to complete it, to carry it through. And for you and I, it's as we focus on that plowing that field, Jesus can fill it with seed and fill it with a harvest. And this will be the fruit of our life in the following of him. Now, Jesus' listeners, I think, must have thought of Elijah in Elisha, because this is very similar to when Elijah calls Elisha. He is plowing at that moment when Elijah comes. And we read about it in 1 Kings 19. And so Elijah, in typical Elijah fashion, just throws a cloak around Elisha in the calling of him. And Elisha's response is to abandon everything. He smashes up the plow, sets it on fire, roasts a, um, one of the oxen on it and has a sacrifice. And this is like a dramatic gesture of Elijah, Elisha saying, I'm all in, count me in, this is his response. But in the responding, it's interesting, he, he makes a similar request that the man makes of Jesus. So let's read it together in 1 Kings 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah let me kiss my father and mother goodbye he said and then i will come with you go back elijah replied what have i done to you so elisha left him and went back he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate then he set out to follow elijah and become his servant now it appears that he poses the same question let me kiss my parents goodbye we see the difference here. It's not an excuse to go back, but it's finalising everything to totally follow Elijah. And what he does, he kisses his parents goodbye, he um, sets fire to the plough, he roasts the oxen, feeds it to the people, that everything is finished, ready to follow Elijah. So he abandons everything to follow the mission. And we know that he succeeds Elijah as prophet in his time. And this kind of burning it all, smashing it up. You know, we couldn't go back to ploughing now. It's like the famous phrase, burn the ships. Now I'm thinking of Matthew when I do this because he's the history buff. And if you'll know, that phrase comes from, in 1519, there was a guy called Hernan Cortes and he was part of the Spanish conquest of Mexico. And he traveled to the New World with many ships and 600 men. And when they arrived there on the beaches to send a clear message to the men this is what we're doing, this is our job now. He burned the ships and he made history by burning these ships. And the message was, there is no going back. So I love it that Jesus did not turn around on his route to Jerusalem. He resolutely set his face to it. His motivation was his total love for us, no holding back. And he asked the same of us. 
if we are to be his disciples, to take up our cross and to follow him. And this is an intention of our heart, our focus, the direction of our life, that our faith in Jesus becomes like our true north, is where we're heading. Now God knows that we are not perfect in our devotion because we are not perfect human beings, but within our limitations, we say, yes, Lord, I'm all in. I remember when our children were small and we often had people visiting and we'd ask the children to make a little nameplate for the bedroom door, like Clem's room. And they did it to the best of their ability in a childlike way. And there was something really heartwarming about it. And in the same way, our Father loves all our efforts that we bring to him. Just like a child doing our best, it's not perfect. It's, it's an imperfect, but our heart is all in for him. And that's what he looks for from us. And that focus and direction of our heart that says, yes, Lord, I am all in, I am here. Now, I like the timing of Luke recording the people's excuses here because the recording of their excuses just stands so much in contrast to Jesus' resoluteness. So here's Jesus resolutely going to the cross and here are the people making their excuses and they stand side by side. And in Luke 9, we see Jesus beginning to warn the disciples about his death and the sacrifice to come, but they can't really take it in. In Luke 9, 22, it says this, Jesus said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. And again he said, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. The people's excuses are in such contrast to what Jesus is facing at the end of this journey to Jerusalem, where the cross awaits him. But Luke's recording also contrasts these excuses with the willingness of the 12 and the 72. And how Matthew mentioned last week about Jesus sending out the 12 disciples, and then this was followed by the 72 that were probably the men and women in his wider group of disciples to share the good news and to heal the sick. And it kind of contrasts in between. But the other thing I like is how Luke sandwiches in between the sending of the 12 and the 72, sandwiches in the middle, the feeding of the 5,000. And we see here like a physical echo of Jesus multiplying his ministry through his team by multiplying the bread and the fish. And to me, it stands out like a, a kind of physical symbol of what was happening spiritually, that these men and women were being equipped to go out, you know, take their purse, take their sandals, and that they were going out in this willingness. And the, the excuses of these people stand with um, Jesus' willingness, the 72, the 12, and in the middle of this, this multiplication, the miracle, the feeding the 5,000, it all says together about this multiplication of what Jesus is going to do that, that went all across the whole world. It says here, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now what a visual lesson. Every one of those disciples had a basket of the leftovers. 
And when we bring our imperfect, yes, Lord, this is my direction, even with my failings, even in my imperfection, Lord, I bring you my all. We too may have a whole basket of leftovers and those leftovers are really the fruit of what has been sown and what has grown in the furrows and the harvest is the fruit of our life in serving him. And, and our challenge as we come to Jesus is to respond with our whole heart, not to put it off, not to find an excuse, not to say one day, but to respond today. Today to respond and say, Jesus, you are my focus. I want to follow you with all my heart. I am all in. And it's about the willingness to pursue him, to follow him and to know his way. Now, if you've never done that before, I encourage you, give your life to Jesus. Say, Lord, here I am. Forgive me for all I've done wrong. Come into my life and you begin to start this journey with Jesus. And um, also, what about in lockdown now? We, we're following Jesus with our lives, but in the lockdown restrictions, are there any like sacrificial, practical ways of following him? Well, here's just a few ideas to end with. Number one, maybe in the following of him, lockdown now can be a test of our integrity are we following the rules are we helping other people to do it too that we can all get out of this lockdown faster is it a test of our integrity number two maybe it's a test of our generosity that we're helping others in a worse situation than ourselves drop off some doorstep gifts we're not focused in my own nest or my own den number three maybe a test of our love uh, those we're cooped up with in lockdown, or even just texting or ringing somebody to cheer them up, um, that we contact others to share that love. And number four, maybe to continue to test our faith in praying for others over Zoom, maybe somebody in the supermarket at two meters distance, of course, or inviting a friend along to Alpha that they can discover Jesus too. You get the idea. But we can put some of these things into practice even now in lockdown. As we just follow Jesus, we take up our cross and follow him with our whole heart in those big decisions, but in those little daily sacrifices too. So let us, you and I, focus up. We keep that focus that we are plowing in one straight direction, that Jesus can fill those furrows with seed, that we see a great harvest to his glory, and that we know that Jesus uses every effort of ours that we say, Lord, I'm all in. See me. Here I am. Jesus, I say yes to you. So let us pray together. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for your journey to the cross, that you never turned around or gave up, but you went all the way to the cross for us, that you died for us to forgive us, that we can have brand new life. I ask you, Lord, for your strength in us as we respond to you and give you our all, that you will help us, Lord, as we focus on you, we know that we take on that yoke and that your yoke is easy, your burden is light. We ask, Lord, that you restore our soul. I pray, Lord Jesus, for every person watching today, that you'll lift people's burdens. They will know your amazing love for them. You'll come into their life, Lord. Fill us again with the power of your spirit and may follow you with your spirit in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks everybody, and we see you again soon. Bye now.